Thank you for tuning in to the Star Center podcast entitled Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education. We bring together a community of pediatric providers working to address social determinants of health in their practices. We will share tested strategies, success stories, ideas on where to find community resources, and discuss clinical tools that are educational and practical to benefit your practice and families. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to our fourth podcast episode about food insecurity and childhood obesity. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics policy statement on food insecurity and child health, Food insecurity can be associated with a slew of negative outcomes for children, including worse general health, increased use of emergency department services, worse academic performance, poorer social outcomes, and anxiety and depression. Food insecurity may negatively affect children's acute and chronic health in both direct and indirect ways. Especially now, living through a pandemic, families are experiencing countless situations that can suddenly force them to choose between buying food and paying bills which results in food insecurity and hunger. According to the AAP, understanding the degree to which food insecurity affects the health of children or other household members is key, both to making the case for its elimination and also to the design of effective social programs. In this episode, we discuss different avenues to address social determinants of health and how one pediatrician created a business that has left a lasting impact by feeding hungry families and lessons learned along the way. Hello, I am Nerissa Bauer, one of your co-hosts today, along with Dr. Zoe Gore. Just a little bit about me. I'm a behavioral pediatrician and blogger at Let's Talk Kids Health. I also have a part-time behavioral health practice in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I want to welcome Dr. Gore here today. Thank you, Nerissa. Um, my name is Zoe Gore. I'm a pediatric hospitalist in Roseville, California. I work for Kaiser Permanente, and, and the first half of my career as a pediatrician, I was actually an outpatient pediatrician as well. So I've sort of worn a couple of hats in my career. Well, we're really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. So I wanted to jump on in because I know that um, through your career, you also were uh, for a period of time, the voice, vice president of Chapter One, the American Academy of Pediatrics. And in that, uh, during that time, you were involved with starting a food truck. Can you tell us a little bit about that, um, how that got started and how that became a passion for you? Sure. So when I was elected as vice president of Chapter One, District Nine, um, the academy at that time was really starting to have greater conversation around the health effects of poverty on children, and um, that, as we all know, has sort of evolved into social determinants of health and its, um, you know, their effects on the health of our children and families. And um, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure that my community had a problem, um, and so. I started to ask questions in the community to see what our property rates were and to see, you know, sort of what, what the problems around poverty were here in our community. And, and even if we had food insecurity problems or any of those sorts of things. Um, and I had been in contact with some folks who have a food policy organization and they look at, um, guidelines around healthy school nutrition, and incidentally, they also follow 
the number of kids per school district who are eligible for free and reduced lunch. And it shocked me to learn that in Sacramento County um, and one uh, district in particular, 73% of the children were eligible for free and reduced lunch, which in a school district of 65,000 people, that seemed ridiculous and crazy and oh my goodness, wow, I had no idea that we had such a problem. Um, I, as I mentioned, was practicing in outpatient pediatrics uh, for the first 10 or 11 years of my career and practicing in Placer County, which actually has a lower rate and I didn't think we had a problem and I certainly never screened anyone for food insecurity beyond, you know, do you receive WIC? Mm -hmm. And so I started to ask some questions of my community members and was put in touch with a variety of different folks and actually ended up at a um, collaborative um, that was put on by our national public radio local station called Capital Public Radio. And they brought community members together who were working on food insecurity, which then sort of further um, made me think about, oh my goodness, look at all these people working on food insecurity and we must have a really big problem if all of these people are working on it. And um, I got connected with one of the CEOs of the local food bank and interviewed her and she was telling me all about what, um, what sort of resources we had and where the gaps were and largely it was around fresh fruits and vegetables. And then I um, met a woman who was sort of the resource specialist, I think is what she calls herself, for one of our local uh, school districts. And for me, I thought of resource specialists as, you know, sort of folks who help with developmental delays or school uh, literacy problems or learning disabilities or things like that. And in actuality, she was actually looking at resources like, do you have shoes? Do you have clothing? Do you have food? Um, and was started a, a hope closet for families in her school district to come and be able to get what they needed and was um, seeking donations. And she showed me this hope closet and she had a number of non-perishables in there. And they were largely things that I would call of uh, little or no nutritive value. So top ramen or crackers or things like that. that really don't provide the necessary nutrients um, that kids or families need. And so I was talking with all these community members and I was coming home each night and talking with my family or sort of, you know, debriefing with my family is really probably what it was. And uh, one day my husband said, you know, I heard this story on the radio today on Capital Public Radio and they were highlighting a food truck in Minnesota, it actually wasn't really a food truck. It was part of a gimmick for a bar that um, does a lot of community service and uh, nonprofit work. And they, as part of a gimmick, developed this food truck that they called the reverse food truck. And their motto was, we don't make food, we take food. And you could get a discount on the beer that you buy at their bar if you brought non-perishables to the truck. And so my husband said, you know, it sounds like there's a gap in fresh fruits and vegetables and in the food that the community needs. What if we did this? What if we had a reverse food truck here in Sacramento 
And then through the course of conversation, we thought that we would um, collect fresh fruits and vegetables, not non-perishable. Mm -hmm. So that's the long version of sort of how that started. Yeah, but what I what I think that you, this story calls attention to is is sort of your own um, growth as seeing and realizing that there is a bigger issue here at hand that um, you weren't previously necessarily aware of the magnitude, right? And I love the fact that um, given that you were in the position uh, that you were, you were able to then make those connections in your community and learn about the problem. I guess my question to you is for those listening to this podcast, um, I know that um, for, for anyone thinking about what can I do to support the folks in my community, um, outside of just what I'm doing, providing care in my clinic, uh, if there's an issue such as poverty, food insecurity, um, how, what sort of tips do you have for those of um, those listeners in terms of where to even get started? Because a lot of these problems seem so big, right? And not knowing yeah. where to start even. So I think that um, the best piece of advice, if I could be um, so presumptuous as to think that I have quality advice to give, um, is to ask questions. Um, and, you know, as physicians, we are sort of expected to know the answer and to know um, what the right thing to do is. You know, our patients come to us and they expect us to know, right? Yeah. Um, but this may be an arena where we don't know. And I think to have the humility to ask the question of what is the problem and finding out from as many people as possible what the potential solution might be, but not to presume that we know the answer or the right solution to the problem. Um, so, um, you know, there's this theory called um, design thinking where you think of what you think the problem is and then you go interview a bunch of stakeholders, you know, who might be affected by this problem and who might already be working on this problem and, and who might be affected by the solution and then design the solution based on those conversations and certainly talking to as many people as possible before identifying the solution. And then once you have identified what you think should be the solution or what the community thinks the solution should be, then going back to the stakeholders and saying, what do you think about this? Do you think this might work? Um, what, what barriers might I run into? How, how might I overcome those barriers before you, you know, sort of dive headlong into it? Right. Sometimes families come to us thinking that we know all the answers, but, but really when it comes to these types of issues too, especially sensitive ones, it, um, screening for social determinants of health, such as food insecurity, is such a wonderful way to start that conversation in a non-judgmental way. Um, and, you know, I think in my own practice doing behavioral health, I, I think it's really important when you're trying to um, have that open and honest discussion for the need to link families to services that you don't just give them a piece of paper. Um, and sometimes when there is an identified gap in a resource that I need for a family, I will ask other families, like, who have you seen? Who, who have you trusted? What was that experience like for you? Because 
it just makes such a difference when I know I can say to families, well, I don't have personal experience, but I've heard from other families that XYZ is great because, and it just, it just helps um, sort of give the family the leap of faith they need to potentially take that next step. Completely agree. I think the other thing that I learned that we didn't do enough of mm -hmm. is um, building on the community's own agency. And mm -hmm. when we're having these conversations with our patients, building on their own agency, you know, what what problem do they want to solve? What do they see as the problem? What are their strengths that can help them solve the problem? What are the strengths that the community has that we can build upon to solve the problem? Um, but I think that is also really important um, and hopefully can also, if it's on the individual level with your patients, can help strengthen that relationship, which, uh, you know, the physician-patient relationship or provider-patient um, relationship. Right. And, you know, you had mentioned um, when you did the food truck and you started working with so many folks in the community, how was it? sort of connecting with folks in different sectors and having those conversations. I mean, what 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 was that like? Sort of being the only, maybe only pediatrician in the room or? <laughs> yeah, um, so really interesting. Um, and certainly I've met amazing people who are doing amazing work in the community. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, through that work and some continued work that, you know, sort of everything spider webs from there, right? Um, it is really common when you're doing this community work, or at least I found, to be the only physician in the room. Mm -hmm. And people are just so appreciative of having a physician in the room um, to have the conversation. And I can't tell you how many times I said, but I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here listening, you know, how can I help you? And they're like, oh, no, just having somebody participate is fantastic. I'm like, but what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that also the community really does appreciate even just having the physician expertise in the room to have the conversation. Um, but I learned, I think, way more from the community members than they learned from me. I'm <laughs> confident of that. <laughs> well, it, sound, it sounds like it was uh, a win-win situation for everybody. I guess my, my uh, other question, because obviously, as, as um, many folks who do community work, I mean, it, it does take time. It takes perseverance, pounding the pavement, getting to know who's out there, um, forming those collaborative partnerships. Um, can you can you just briefly speak about maybe a few barriers that you encountered along the lifetime of the the program, and any advice for in the face of adversity keeping going? So certainly with the food tech, um, we our original plan was to go to our local farmers market and to set up a truck there and ask. Uh, patrons of the market to buy a little bit extra from the farmers and donate, you know, whatever was sort of extra for them. So if they were going to buy apples, buy an extra apple, or if they're going to buy zucchini, buy an extra zucchini, whatever, and then donate it back to the truck. And um, what we didn't realize was that the farmers markets in our community were largely owned by two groups and that they didn't really understand our project. So it took 
a lot of conversations with them to even let us into the market. It also took relationship building. So we had a great relationship with the CEO of one of the food banks and she happened to know the owner of the farmer's market and was able to massage that a little bit for us. Um, but, you know, through our own experience, we didn't even know that was going to be a problem. Um, and the other farmer's market uh, system wanted to charge us to be there and they weren't really willing to do any negotiations um, given that we were a nonprofit and we weren't trying to make any money. Um, and so um, understanding what, uh, what the limitations are and what the potential barriers might be before um, embarking on a project um, I think the relationship building is very important, and I think through the conversations with stakeholders as you're trying to um, figure out what the solution is makes a huge difference. Um, we still have relationships with all of those people, even though the project is no longer active. In fact, yesterday I was at one of the schools um, talking with the resource specialist, handing out meals um, while we're all sheltering in place. The kids still need those meals, um, but it has led to other projects and other things. Um, and it also through those relationships, I've been able to work through barriers, but I've also been able to help other people with um, any barriers they're encountering through their projects as well. Well, you know, I, I've had such a wonderful time chatting with you and learning about your experience. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add for, for those listening here? Any particular resources or any other thoughts? One of the things to think about is that um, your involvement doesn't have to be a huge project. Um, one of the things that we were trying to uh, work on in Northern California AAP was actually the concept of like a community pediatrician representative. So, you know, a lot of us have children and we can be a resource at the kids' school for health care information or, um, you know, I was the life checker one year for uh, my kids' preschool. But, um, you know, just using our expertise where in situations where we might already be, um, can be a great way to be a community member and um, someone who's helping out in the community and help you build that relationship. You know, using whatever time you have to give, whether that's five minutes or five days or a year, you know, whatever your time is, it's still valuable and the community really appreciates it, even if it doesn't feel like maybe a whole lot to you, that um, just thinking about ways that we can help in situations where we're probably already um, involved mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it uh, years ago, I had to fill out a paperwork for my son's preschool that listed my skills for what I could help for my parent hours. And there were four pages in this booklet and I could not do one thing on the entire four pages. And so that's how I became life checker. Because <laughs> that was a skill I had. <laughs> so just recognizing that sometimes um, people don't uh, know what skills we have to offer as well. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I love that um, sentiment of, you know, sometimes um, 
practicing medicine, being an outpatient or inpatient can be very um, uh, busy and can lead to burnout, but looking for other avenues to bring those skills in other ways to help our community, whether it be small by helping out in our children's schools or in other ways, such as developing very innovative programs like the food truck. Um, and anything in between can be rewarding, not just for uh, the, the physician uh, or, and or the provider, but for the larger community. So thank you so much for sharing that story, your time and your efforts. And I hope that you continue to find other ways to give back. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for tuning in to Pediatric Care, Childhood, Adversity, and Resiliency Education Podcast. For more information or to learn more about the resources referenced during this episode, please visit our Screening Technical Assistance and Resource Center website found on aap.org screening.